I really feel like that what we've been doing is the, the essence of what communion really means is the partnership, not only with the Holy Spirit, but with each other. Because for me personally, being able to hear people share um, during this time, is I, I feel more connected with the people in the church. And I think it is helping us as a body to grow stronger. Um, and I believe that's pleasing to the Lord because not only are we one spirit with him, we're one spirit with one another. And um, there's power in unity. So 1 Corinthians 11, 24 and 26, it says, this is Paul writing. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, you know, um, in the natural, what you can see sometimes is that when um, parents are good parents and they leave an inheritance to their children, if the children's not taught to value what the parents have done to earn what they are given, handing down their children, sometimes the children don't appreciate it. So what I want to do is to set a foundation for somewhere where we're going because what we're going to focus on today is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the new covenant. So we're going to talk about the old covenant just to add value to the new covenant, okay? So um, there's several different covenants in the Old Testament, and you know what? I absolutely love God's Word. There is so much in there, and I was looking at this and meditating on it, and there would have been so many ways I could have gone, and I would love to do all of them, but I can't. So um, just kind of bear with me, because as I go somewhere, I might pull back. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Holy Spirit, just come and help me, and I just pray for a spirit of revelation. So if I start going really fast and I lose you, don't worry about it because it's not really me that you need to be hearing. It's what the Holy Spirit speaks. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're going to feel it. And that's what you pay attention to. Okay? All right. So Old Covenant. Different covenants in the Old Testament. Um, and we're going to focus on Moses. Okay? So for those of you who aren't familiar with the story of Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, um, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, okay? They, in my thinking, you know, they just had stories. They just shared the stories. So they kind of knew who Abraham was, and they knew who Jacob was, and they knew who Isaac was, but I don't really know that they knew who God was. But they knew who their ancestors were. And so for 400 years, they lived in Egyptian culture as slaves, but they were still in an Egyptian atmosphere. God didn't come and and do things for them or reveal himself to them. So after 400 years, he raised Moses up. And Moses came in and went to Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. And if you're familiar with the story, there were several things that God did through Moses and Aaron to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. There were different plagues that happened. So God basically came in. This, I would think he would be unknown God to them, like, real, like not a personal God to them. So he comes in, and he does these wonderful, amazing, scary, terrifying things. He had the frogs come in, he turned the Nile to blood, he um, had flies, total darkness, all these different plagues that, that they came in that didn't touch the Israelites, but it affected the Egyptians. So they knew God by his works and these, these 
very terrifying things. And then the firstborn of the Egyptians get killed. Death angel comes through and the Passover celebrated and the blood's on the doorpost. And if the blood's on the doorpost, then the firstborn son is spared. Right? We're familiar with the story. Okay. So then after that, they leave Egypt and they're going to the promised land. I don't even know what they thought the promised land was at this point. Like, but they, they knew they were going somewhere. They were no longer slaves. They were going into the promised land. And they, the, then the Lord does something else miraculous. And he splits the Red Sea. And they go across on dry land. And then the waters come and they fall on the Egyptians. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be pretty terrified of this God. Right? Just seeing all this, even though I was safe and I would be thankful. I mean, this was just his acts, how powerful he was in, in providing for them. Well, then... Because I think we give them a hard time. I think we give the um, uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt a really hard time going, I can't believe that they would do that. Like they groaned and they complained and didn't they see? Well, no, they didn't see because they were in the middle of it, right? And so, um, so then they come out and God wants them to be a royal nation unto him and a priest unto him. The people of Israel, he wants that for everybody. He wants everybody to be in relationship with him. But then they tell Moses, we'll do whatever he says. They, they'll just do whatever he says through Moses. They didn't want that, right? So on the 50 days after, they, after Passover, after they left, it was the day of Pentecost. Do you all know what happened on the day of Pentecost? The first one is where he called Moses. Did Aaron go with him? Just, okay, Aaron went part way up. Moses went all the way up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And he went up, and all the people, all the children of Israel were, were out down the mountain so they could see it. And they were told that they couldn't touch it or even an animal or they would be killed. Okay? So you got to imagine they're sitting there, and they're looking at this mountain. They know Moses is there. And the Bible says that this cloud descended on the mountain with thunders and lightnings and darkness. And actually in... The original language, it gives an implication that there were tongues of fire that also fell, which I think is really cool, on the first Pentecost. So they come there. So they hear this, and they hear this voice. They hear God speaking. They see this cloud, and Moses is up there for 40 days. And in that 40-day span, um, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments and says, here's what you have to do in order to have right standing with me. And he gave him the Ten Commandments. And also while he was up there, he gave him instructions on building the tabernacle. Do you want to pull that picture up? So I brought pictures just so, like, you have something to visualize because I remember before I knew what it looked like, people would talk about it, and I would get lost. So there's the, um, the tabernacle that he told Moses to build. And Moses had to build it exactly the way that God had instructed him. And so there's, you know, you can see the different things out there. Well, then that tent where it says the tabernacle, that's called the holy place, right? And so where it says table of showbread, that little rectangle is the holy place. And then you have the Ark of the Covenant, and there's that other divider. That other divider is that, the veil, and you go into the holy of holies where God's presence was. So God's presence was here with us this morning. But back then, God's presence was there. And only one person, the high priest, could go into the presence of God one time a year. Okay? So, and that's a picture of the high priest. And they have what's really, really cool if you study this out, and we don't have time to do it today. You have all of the different things within 
the tabernacle. Not only the holy place, but even outside the tabernacle were shadows of Jesus, which is really, really cool. Like, God is such a cool storyteller. If you ever have a chance to get a book on the tabernacle and you read this, like, it is, it is so cool. Um, so, what they would have to do is they would have to do, the, there were priests, and priests were chosen through um, a certain lineage, and then they had to be examined, and they couldn't have spots, they couldn't have moles, they couldn't have freckles. They had to be perfect and without blemish in order to do ministry unto the Lord. And the ministry unto the Lord was where they took animals and they killed them for sacrifices. So have you ever wondered why they had to kill animals? Like, why? Why was that? Well, I've thought, I've thought about it, and the only thing that I have gone back to is in Genesis you know, when um, Adam and Eve sinned and um, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized they were naked and they hid themselves when they heard God walking. When they heard God coming, they hid themselves. And God said, why did you hide yourself? Well, because we are naked. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? Because what they did was they then decided for themselves, this is bad that we're naked. They had, their eyes were open, so they had the ability to choose what was right or wrong for themselves. And they chose that being naked was wrong. So they went and they covered themselves with leaves, right? What did God do? He killed an animal to cover their sin. So somewhere I think it's tied into that. Just in my own mind going, when Adam and Eve originally sinned, God killed an animal to provide a covering because in, the Bible says that without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no for remission of sins, right? You had to have a covering. So they were now covered, but an animal had to die. Could you imagine what that must have felt like to Adam and Eve? Like this animal, like, they, like it died because of what they did? Right. So then one more thing I want to bring out in Genesis. So then Adam and Eve... Um, they had sons, two sons, Cain and Abel. Um, Abel had a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. Cain was not pleasing to the Lord, and Cain got jealous and went and killed his brother. Have you ever thought it was interesting what God says when he comes? And he says, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain goes, and my, bro my brother's keeper. And God says, your brother Abel's blood cries from the ground, cries to me from the ground. Like, Abel's blood was crying out to the Lord. Which, and then I think I searched through this months ago, and I think prophets who have been killed, their blood also cried. Like, it wasn't just Abel's blood, but the prophets who had been martyred, their blood cries out to, Lord, to the Lord. And so it was just really interesting. Like, just hold on to this. Like, ponder this with me. So, um, the priest. The priest would come in if they were shown to be without blemish, and they would come in, and they would have to sacrifice animals for the people daily for sin. So, um, like, they're covered in blood all the time. Like, it was not this little clean thing where you did this in the blood. Like, they would have been covered in blood constantly, day after day, killing animals to cover sin for people, okay? And then... Whenever they celebrated Passover was when the high priest that was chosen once a year had to go into the Holy of Holies. And for the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies, um, 
Can you go to the, his, what the high priest's outfit looks like? Moses was even directed by God on how he was supposed to be dressed. Like everything was so specific. And it wasn't because God was being hard and said, I want you to do this difficult thing. It's because in Hebrews, it talks about that everything that God told Moses to build was already in heaven. This was human hands making a a replica of what was already in heaven. Okay? So um, the high priest, this dude, once a year would go in. And he would have to sacrifice a bull. There was a bull and a goat that was sacrificed. And so the bull, I think, was for his sins and the sins of his family. He had to go in and do a sacrifice for him and his own family. And there's, they, the, what they would do is he would lay his hands on the bull. And it was um, him laying his sin on the sacrifice. And then he also receiving the spotlessness or the acceptability of, of the sacrifice. There was an exchange that happened when he laid his hands on, on the bull. And so then, then he would have to go take the blood and go and put it in the incense and go and do all the stuff. And um, if it was accepted, then he went and he uh, sacrificed an animal for, um, sorry, I got distracted by cute little voices. Um, he and he would have to go and sacrifice something for the nation of Israel. Well, back in Jesus' time, there was a historian called Josephus who was a historian. He actually wrote about Jesus. He wrote about the high priest ministry. Like, he wrote about all kinds of things. And so he talks about that. Well, one really cool thing. He said that when the priests would do their ministry, their ministry into the Lord, because they had to be very aware of the presence of God and what they were doing, it was a very focused time for the priest, but that they, their face would start shining. And the face would start shining because those little colored squares are stones like opals and diamonds and emeralds. And so it, it was on their, around their breastplate and they would start their crystals. Okay. I'm probably shouldn't even go here. <laughs> I'm going to, so they're crystals. And so crystals are known to conduct a, um, energy, like they conduct electricity. And so when you are worshiping with God, your heart, when, if you could capture your heart frequency, like they do in the hospitals to see how your heartbeat and everything is, this, your heart frequency goes further out than like your brain. So if they're tracking your brain, your brain would have shorter little waves and wouldn't go very far, but your heart has long waves, and it can clear all the way across the room. So what would happen is they were loving on the Lord and doing this ministry into the Lord, their heart would be captured through those stones and it would cause their face to start shining. So, this dude, uh, Josephus talked about that. He said their face would shine. They didn't understand why it shined back then, but now we, we know. So then he also, Josephus also talked about how they'd tie a rope around their waist because if he went to the Holy of Holies, nobody else was allowed to go in there. And if his sacrifice was not accepted for him personally, God would kill him. And so they would have to pull him out. Okay, and then there's also that he wore bells. The high priest would wear bells so they could hear him walking to make sure he was still alive, right? Because his, he had to be right before God in order for the sacrifice for the nation of Israel to be accepted. Is everybody with me? Okay. And so then after he would put, he'd, dip the blood, he'd take the blood from where the animal was sacrificed, he'd come in, he'd put some blood on the, inc- on the incense offering thing, and then he'd come back and he'd get it. And if you go to the mercy seat picture, 
Moses was also instructed to build a mercy seat. This is what the mercy seat looks like, which I think was really cool. Joyce's first paintings have those angel wings touching down there on the floor. Anyway, we'll see you later. So anyway, this is the mercy seat. And in the mercy seat, there were three things that were supposed to be kept in there. One was the Ten Commandments. One was Aaron's almond rod that budded. And the third one was manna from heaven. We're not going to go into any of that. If you're interested, read your Bible. It's in Deuteronomy, I think. And so, anyway, so those three things were, were put under the mercy seat. And that mercy seat are where the cherubim is sitting on top of. And so the priest would come in with a hyssop branch, I think, and dip the, the blood from the sacrifice, and he would throw blood on the mercy seat seven times. One for him, and then he'd come back and do the same things for the sins of Israel. And if God accepted it, they, he came out. And, you know, you got to think about it. They were probably all surrounded the tabernacle and were celebrating once they knew that God had accepted their sacrifice, right? But what did the sacrifice do? It covered their sin, covered them, held it off for another year. God goes, I'm not going to judge you. Your, your sins are covered, okay? So they would be celebrating. But in Hebrews, it talks about that it did not take away the con- their consciousness of their sin. So they were always aware. I mean, can you think about every day having to go kill an animal or take it to a priest to kill the animal so that your sin would be covered? Every day, they were so aware of the sin, like where they failed because the Ten Commandments were given and they weren't keeping them. And, you know, so that's the Old Covenant. In order for them to have a sin covering, one man once a year went in the presence of God, had a sacrifice, and God said it was accepted. And they lived life this way. It's the Old Covenant. That's what they did. Until, so then you have the, whole, the Old Testament, and you have all of the, the stories. Does anybody here read the Old Testament? Like, it's really good. If you don't read the Old Testament, just start, and just start reading. The stories are so good, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, and you'll find Jesus in it. Like, it's, I love the Word of God. So, I encourage you to go read. And so then you get into the prophets. Well, this was interesting to me. So then, the book of Malachi is the end of the Old Testament. And so the last prophet that was written until Jesus was born, how many years was that? 400 years. How many years were Israel in slavery to Egypt before the Old Testament was given? 400 years. And then they were slaves to the law or to actual Judaism. Judaism grew in that four-year period to where there were so many laws to begin with, and then it multiplied. Man started adding more and more laws to what God had originally said, and there was 400 years where there wasn't a prophetic voice for the nation of Israel, and then the new covenant started. I thought that was cool. So, all right, so now we're into the new covenant. All right, so the prophets had prophesied different things about the new covenant. Here's the new covenant, okay, in a nutshell. God gives you a new heart. He puts his law in your minds and he writes them in your heart. He takes away the sin of the world. He gives you a new heart and he puts a new spirit in us. That's the new covenant. So in the old, the blood of bulls and goats covered sin, but they couldn't take away the sin or the consciousness of sin. But... In our new covenant, what Jesus did was he took away, 
took away the world's sin. Okay? So in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being a lot of things. Um, He's our high priest. Okay? So he's the one that will... Let's see how I'm going to do this. And he's also our sacrifice. Okay? So when you bring your offering to the high priest... The high priest didn't look at you to see if you were acceptable. He looked at, he examined his, the sacrifice to see if the sacrifice was acceptable. So Jesus is the high priest and the sacrifice. Your sac, it, it's accepted. He accepted it, right? And so in Hebrews, it paints a picture of um, Jesus being our high priest and that he went in and he had the sacrifice He died as the Lamb of God. His blood was shed. And then he was he died three days later, rose from the dead. And then he he appeared for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. What did he have to take with him to heaven, being the high priest? Somehow his blood had to be gathered. And when he ascended to heaven, he went to the original mercy seat. And he presented his blood before the Father. And I personally think you know that it was accepted, one, because he was raised from the dead, but two, the Holy Spirit came. Because the high priest had to come out of the Holy of Holies for the Israel to know that their, their sacrifice was accepted. So the Holy Spirit had to come. That was the, the guarantee of our covenant because the Holy Spirit came back. Okay? Okay, let's do this. I'm going to go to Hebrews 12. Okay, and then I love the book of Hebrews too. It's so good. I remember the first time I read it, I was like, I have no idea what this is talking about. But God's word is good that way. If you just keep reading it, like it builds, and the Holy Spirit will give you revelation on it. Why can I not find Hebrews? Okay, Hebrews 12. So what's happened in Hebrews up to this point is he talks about... um, the new covenant, he talks about Jesus being the high priest and how he is now seated down. The high priest is seated down beside God. He is sitting. He's no longer in that outer court. He's no longer doing sacrifices that he is seated. His job is done. And so um, then in Hebrews 11, it talks about the people of faith and how they were all trying to get something that they didn't necessarily get before they died. Okay? 12.22. All right, bear with me because there's the good, the good part that I'm trying to get to. All right, it says, But you, those in the new covenant, have come to Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, where it says, Do not come and touch it or you're going to die. And the fear and trembling, you didn't go to Mount Sinai, you've gone to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels. So this is the city that you've come to, okay? Lots of angels to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. So whose blood speaks? Abel's blood is speaking, but who else's blood speaks? Jesus' blood speaks like it's speaking. So Jesus is also the mediator. So the mediator means that he's like the go-between. He's going, God, um, they're mine. They're innocent. I love them. 
I, I purchase them, and then the blood is going, they're covered, they're innocent, I love them. This is my blood that was shed. And so, what does God say? Everything be established in two witnesses? You've got two witnesses in heaven. You have Jesus and his blood who are speaking better things over your life. Two witnesses in heaven, okay? Go to Revelation 12. And I may just read it because it's, it's good. It's all good. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head garland of 12 stars. That's the nation of Israel, just so you know. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and, gave, and in pain and gave birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child, capital C, was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God and they should feed her there for 1,260 days. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Can somebody say hallelujah for that? They did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was, was cast down to earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Listen to this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. So the devil used to be in the presence of God accusing, accusing. Oh, look what they did. Oh, look, did you see that they just, I don't know. I mean, anything, like anything. He uses anything to accuse you. It doesn't have to be adultery or drugs or anything really bad. He could just use, oh, did you see? She just said something ugly about her friend. It doesn't matter. He accuses. But it says he was cast down. He accused day and night. He was cast down. I personally think he was cast down when the blood was brought. Because the blood is before God, speaking better things over your life. The enemy is no longer accusing you before God because Jesus and his blood are there speaking better things over you. But where is he? The, the accuser. He's now in your head. Sometimes it begins as your conscience. Your conscience goes, oh, don't do that. Oh, yeah, you, you kind of didn't do that wrong. But if you do not go acknowledge your conscience... Okay, yeah, that's right. Change your way of thinking and go. And you sit there and go, oh my gosh, yes, I did that wrong. Guess who comes in? The accuser will come in and make that little thing a whole lot bigger than it needs to be. So the accuser is here. So what my challenge today, 1 Corinthians talking about Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant whose blood speaks better things. And we take this cup of communion, which is his blood. What is his blood speaking over you? 
That was my whole point to get there, because I want you to understand what the blood did in the Old Testament, but what Jesus' blood does now and the fact that it's in heaven speaking better things over you. Because I don't know about you, but I struggle with the accuser quite a bit. And if I do not watch it, I'm in there believing, believing it. I yelled too much to my children. Glad they're not. (laughs) I thought you were asleep. And then just going, oh my gosh, I'm this terrible person, you know, and just can get in there. And you're making agreement with the accuser who's not even before God. You've got to start hearing what is the blood speaking.